For none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Eternal Father, mighty God, we thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to gather before um, you um, to fellowship with your people in this place of peace, um, in this place of comfort, in this place of grace. Um, we come here humbly as your servants, those of us who know you and those of who, who you are seeking to know more. We ask that your spirit may fill us, that we may be transformed with a greater sense of who you are, a greater understanding of what it means to be in community through fellowship with you, Jesus Christ, and a greater willingness to share that love and gospel to the world, and that people may see that and be drawn to us. Um, we ask that you may touch every heart here, um, heal every broken heart, touch every sin-sick soul. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So, hello everyone, happy Sabbath, how are you? Good, so it's good to um, be back here. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Gregory. Um, I was part of this congregation for um, quite a period of time. Um, and then we um, moved to Maryland and we had a baby. Um, and that's my wife and my baby right there. Um, I, will hold him, I would hold him up Lion King style if he were here. Uh, but he's all the way over there. Uh, <laughs> All right, um, so it's my pleasure here to share with you um, a little today. And what we're going to talk about is uh, Christian community. You know, when you think about Christian community, what does that look like? What does it feel like? What, is it, what does it taste like? Is it it's something, community is something that you not just, you don't see from afar. It's something that you experience. And, and oftentimes, it's something that others experience. When you step into a place, you are drawn into a community. Um, I remember years ago, um, when I entered a church, I moved to a new city, um, and I was in a very different place. I entered graduate school, and I stepped into the church, and we were looking, you know, people come in, and they look for communities, um, a healthy community. Is it receptive? Am I accepted? Um, uh, are, 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 is the, the first people think about me, I'm like, welcome, or do I feel judged? Are people willing to sacrifice on my behalf? So those are the three things we're going to talk about in communities um, today, first, we're going to talk about acceptance. And the second, we're going to talk about uh, judge or judgment. And um, the last thing we'll talk about, the willingness to sacrifice um, in a community. Okay? Um, so I, I entered this church years ago in graduate school. You know, graduate school students, a lot of times they're hungry. Um, they're in a new place. They're looking for love and affection. And, um, you know, as the song says, love and happiness. And... Um, I remember leaving this church and thinking, oh man, you know, if we ever come back to this church again, it'll be too soon. Nobody talked to us, nobody welcomed us. And I'm like, oh man. Um, years later, I did end up joining that church, um, but the community has changed and it become more receptive. You know, we live in a very fractured world, a world with, where people identify strongly with one cause or another, whether it's a political identity, an ethnic identity, a social identity, a cultural identity, and those identifications makes it very difficult and challenging to relate to those outside of that identity. I am so strongly in this community that those external to that community are not just others, but they are the enemy. But what does a Christian community look like, both from a foundational standpoint to how it daily operation, to, to its daily operation. What's the focus of a Christian community? By its very nature, Christian community should, its focus ought to be Christ, right? 
the foundation, the Bible calls the chief um, cornerstone, the one who's altogether lovely, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, for three and a half years, Christ lived um, with his disciples, and he worshiped with them, and he talked with them. But one of the interesting things you see about how he relates to them in their little community um, of 12, uh, plus him and the other disciples and apostles who gathered with him, is you see demonstrated in his life certain things. You see the necessary forbearance of what it means to be part of a community of people who, have, who are different from you. So now, Pastor Todd married us three years ago. You know, marriage is a great departure and illustration um, for all kinds of committed relationship challenges. You start off and it's like, la, 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 la. It's twinkling and it's amazing and it's beautiful. And you're like, wow, I never met anyone like this before. And it's amazing. And then afterwards, there's this realization that you are married with what? To who, rather? Uh, you are married to someone who is imperfect. Um, you know, I like to refer to these things, people who have infirmities. You know, I have two knee sur I've had two knee surgeries in my lifetime. Um, and my father, who's approaching 70 now, has never had surgery. And I just tell him, you know, they don't make them like they used to. And, uh, and so I have these infirmities. My knees, if you were up here, you could hear my knees go. <laughs> but, you know, my little boy, he doesn't have those infirmities. He can run around nonstop. I know because I chase him all the time. And I say, no, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And so what that requires of me is this extension of patience. And then I come from, from work, and I'm tired, and I haven't eaten. And my wife asks me a question. She's like, can, can you do this? And I'm like, ah! You know? and, then, and then she's like, oh, I think you need to calm down, buddy. <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, OK. And I go, I'm like, OK, maybe I need, maybe I need to uh, take a break and back up and uh, go to the source of what it means to have and be in a healthy community. Um, and so one of the challenges we experience as human beings in community is we have to deal with the infirmities of other people. So in Romans chapter 14, you have the text and the point of departure in the text. If you look at verse uh, 1 in Romans chapter 14, it says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone's servant? To their own master's servant stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Let's unpack for a second. So there's classes of people here. Like in every community, there's different kinds of people. So here... The Holy Spirit is talking, Apostle Paul is speaking to us, he's saying, hey, I've heard some things about this community of faith. You know, so when you get to the, towards the end of the book of Romans, you know, Christianity becomes very practical. You're talking high theology before. What does it mean to be justified by faith? What is sanctification? What does it mean to grow? What does it mean to enter into this body of believers? What does it mean to be part of a church? Okay. And so that point of departure has happened, and now you're on to the end in 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, and they're talking about practical Christianity. When you're connected to this community, what does that community look like? What is a healthy community? And so he says, Les, 
even in a healthy community, there are points of difference. There are some people who are uncomfortable with certain things, and so people are uncomfortable with other things. But here he, 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 he categorizes those things. He says, things that you ought not to be disputing about. And here, the particular context, he's talking about food. Um, and if you look and you compare with 1 Corinthians and in Acts chapter 15, um, you look and you, you know there's this issue of, of, of Jewish converts and, and, and their, their comfort level with eating food sacrificed to idols um, and their knowledge of that. And when you're going to the market, you're like, well, I came from this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Idolatry is wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in, in, in that anymore. I'm in a different space now. I serve the one Lord, Jesus Christ. And I can't eat those things anymore. So you go to the market and you're like, well. Paul's like, well, you don't have to ask them. You don't have to ask them if they, that you can just eat the food. You don't know. So there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no challenge for you there. So in this context, you have some people, their faith allows them to do certain things. Others, it does not. So this plays out in interesting ways um, in my relationship um, with my wife. So by nature, I am a very cautious, careful person. So sometimes my caution and careful nature uh, makes me predisposed to say, if you are not as cautious or as careful, you are wrong. Um, the word I like to use is reckless. <laughs> uh, my wife doesn't like that word. Um, and so sometimes it biases me to say, hey, you know this? You shouldn't do this. It's not right. She's like, why is it not right? Because it's just not right. It's just not right. You know, one of the things the text talks about a lot is judgment, right? So it talks about acceptance, judgment, and, and we'll get to sacrifice. You know, there are certain things that just viscerally make me uncomfortable. And when we were dating and before we got married, my wife would ask me, I understand you're not comfortable with certain things. I may be comfortable with those things. But I want you to explain to me why you are not comfortable with that. Tell me. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what you think. Tell me why it is that you are. And sometimes, oftentimes, I couldn't out explain. I just don't like it. it doesn't, I, I'm not comfortable with that. And so a lot of times in our relationship, I am the one who is, in the, the text, weaker in faith. I just can't handle that. Um, and I'll give you an illustration that's outside of faith. When I was in college, I got into um, quite a few car accidents. And the, the last one had, I think, a great effect on me because it kind of changed the way I drive. I became much more cautious and careful. You know, you're 21 years old, you can be kind of reckless. Um, you know, 80 miles an hour was the speed I drove at all the time. And I got into this car accident. My life was preserved, but I was different after the accident. So even now, every time I'm in a car and someone is tailgating and they drive too close to the other, I feel nervous. It makes me uncomfortable because of that experience. They may be driving safe, they may be completely in control of the car, but the first thing I think is, mm, please don't do that, because it touches something that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, in being with my wife, these things come up in different contexts, and she sometimes has to forbear with my level of discomfort. I mean, I think it's normal, completely normal for me to be like, no, we need to wash my son's hands six times because he accidentally touched this or he could have done this. And she's like, no, he's okay. She just hasn't, happens to be a doctor, but that's not enough for me um, because it makes me uncomfortable. 
And so you go in the context of the text, and it says, the one who eats, this is uh, verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So you have on the one side here uh, contempt and judgment. Um, years ago, I read a book, and it was, um, you know, talking about the seven secrets to making your marriage very happy and successful. Um, and it, the authors of this book had done this study. The study was called the Love Lab, and they would place couples in the, in the lab, and they could predict with a high, I think, 90% success rate those who were going to be successful in marriage and those who were not. And they did not want to be doom prognosticators, so they were like, um, okay, we can predict failure, but how can we empower people to be successful? And so they came up with a book. And they said one of the things that is evident in a relationship when there's a deep fracturing and pain and hurt is when people switch from criticism, where I'm saying, you know, Pastor Todd says to Sarah, you know, my lovely wife of 22 years, I just don't like your oatmeal. Your oatmeal's not good. She's like, what? What? My oatmeal's not good? You had it for 22 years, now it's not good? It's good enough for the kids? <laughs> good enough for you, Pastor? She says that, and then he says, you know what? I just don't like your cooking. And then she says, you know what? I just don't like you. You got to get rid of that beard. You got to cut your hair, you know? Clean yourself up. Man, I married 20 years ago, he didn't have that beard, <laughs> right? And now you shifted from the act to the person, right? And so he, the Apostle Paul is saying, in this community of faith, there has been some kind of shift, and people now are openly demonstrating contempt, right? Because there is a difference in the level of comfort that some have, right? And on the other side, you know, people don't respect kindly to contempt, there's judgment, so people are judging one another. People are showing contempt for one another. Oh, hey, this is my dad. <laughs> um, right? Um, and, so, and so the Apostle Paul is saying, in a healthy community, you cannot have these two things to exist and for the community to thrive. And so he's saying, we need to eliminate those two things from this community. And then he continues on and he says, okay, why don't these things belong in your community? Because it's a community of faith, and at the foundation of the community, right, is Jesus Christ. He's the way you entered into the community. You know, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul says, in him you live and you move, right, and you find your life, your well-being in him. And so one of the challenges, particularly as you get to the end of the book of Romans, and I think people find this often in Christian faith, is when you live out the practical aspects in the day-to-day -day life of Christianity and faith is that sometimes people don't continue on the way they started. You start by faith, but you continue and you move and you walk by faith. But as in many things, the way you start, you forget, and you're like, well, I've got enough Jesus now so I can continue on my own. And so what was now in, what is inside out and the Bible talks about fruit and transformation is now outside in. If I only look a certain way, if I only dress a certain way, and communities look a certain way, they dress a certain way, there's physical, there's context to all of those things. You, you, you shift, everyone is doing this, everyone is doing that, okay, I should fit and I should do that. But the Bible speaks about something differently. The gospel is always, first and foremost, internal and then external fruit is produced in the life. 
and that is also in the life of the community. And so it says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servant stand or fall, and they will stand to the Lord, and the Lord is able to make them stand. You know, so it's very different, you know, difficult, I think, as a, for me, sometimes as a married person, to be like, well, you know, my spouse can be my personal gospel project. You know, you, you have your list of things that you see that you think, you know, she could really use my help in these areas, and I could really fix these things that are challenging with her, and I'm sure she has her list too. Um, and you go on that project, and you're like, man, this really doesn't work. It's not working out. You're like, Lord, how come this is not working? But I tell you, every time I've ever had a challenge um, in my relationship, and I've decided to not enter into like that personal project, you know, with my hammer, theoretical hammer, but I've said, you know, Lord, let me pray about these things. Let me, let me talk to you about these challenges that I've had. And, and then my wife will come to me and she'll say, you know, I was thinking about this. And I'm like, oh, really? You were thinking about that? And I'm like, wow, this is so much better than what I was going to do. You see, you know, the Bible is explicit about the role that Jesus Christ has. Judgment has been committed to Jesus Christ. You can look in John chapter 5. It talks about here, right? Um, verse 10. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So this practical aspect of the Christian faith, right, to cease from judgment. You know, now you can be discerning and you can know when you need to say things or not. And I'll give you an illustration. Years ago, I had the opportunity to um, speak before a congregation um, of students in Boston who was part of a Christian community there where we would have church on campus and people would come and speak. And I had the opportunity to be the speaker that day. Um, and it was interesting and it was exciting. And people would bring their roommates. You know, you're in college, you just roll out of bed. And you ask your roommate, you're like, oh, where are you going? And it was like, I'm going to this church thing. On Saturday? Yeah, I go to church on Saturday. Really? Okay, I'll come. So they'll come, and they're like, wow, this wasn't crazy. This is interesting and exciting, and I'm, it's thoughtful. And so people would bring um, members of their uh, community and faith, and it was great to be a part of that. And I had this opportunity, and I was speaking, and while I was speaking, this kind of joke came to my mind, this kind of off-color joke. And I was thinking, ah, maybe I shouldn't say that joke. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm going to say that joke anyway. So I made the joke, and I finished. And then a friend of mine, a really good friend, came up to me after. He says, hey, Greg, how are you? Can I talk to you for a second? Um, and I was like, sure. And so he comes up to me, and he says, I, you know, you've been blessed with this opportunity to speak, you know, and God has given you this opportunity and these gifts um, to speak. Um, but I want you to think about something. You know, you have an ability to influence people. Um, and for them to, you know, think about what you're saying. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I thought that joke was inappropriate. And um, I think you should really think about that. And because this person was very close to me, near and dear to my heart, it made me really, really think about that joke that even before I made the joke, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't make that joke. Um, but I never forgot that lesson, um, both about the privilege and opportunity I have to speak and to share the gospel um, of Jesus Christ and my relationship with him and connection with him, um, 
but just the privilege that we have and our influence we have. And so when you get to the uh, latter part of the text, it says in verse 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of the brother. And so it's interesting when I think about this, right? Putting obstacles or stumbling blocks in the way of the others. You know, one of, one of the most, when I talked about forbearance at the beginning, lovely, amazing aspects of Jesus is his ability to, or was his ability and continued, is to sacrifice for those who are unworthy of the sacrifice. For three and a half years, Jesus knew who Judas was. He knew what kind of person he was. He hoped and he, he desired um, for him to be something. Um, and Judas still made the choices he, make, he made. Even when Judas, in one of these, uh, the penultimate scenes, when you meet Judas in the garden, and he comes up and he approaches Jesus um, with the crowd, and he, Jesus says to him, friend, why have you come? Of course he knows why he's come. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes Judas' feet um, before he leaves. He gives him the same spiritual gifts that others have had. Um, and all the while, he's here planning and plotting to betray him. And so what's really interesting in the Christian community, what you see is, is this, I, I, and I think it's an, an essential fruit of the Spirit, is this willingness to sacrifice and to forbear for the sake of others. When this thought sequence finishes um, in Romans chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, and it shifts to talk about weak and strong, it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak. I go back to my relationship sometimes when I feel like I'm just in this crazy space and I'm like, you should do this or you should do this. And my wife is like, okay, okay, you know. And I, and I later on, you know, I have my quiet time with God and I'm like, all right, maybe I was a little bit, you know, wrong. Um, and I have to apologize. And it's that forbearance, that willingness to say, you know, okay, I know that something is going on right here. I'm not sure what is going on or why, but I will, uh, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I will uh, forbear for you. And forbearance can sometimes takes, takes um, an interesting take. So I've had the opportunity to speak at different kinds of churches. And so sometimes the churches I'll go to and speak at, they're um, like, I'll know something about them, the community or what people are comfortable wearing or not comfortable wearing or what they think about something. And because I know that, I will put on a tie and I'll, you know, make sure the suit I have is not very flashy. Um, because when I come up here, I don't want to be that barrier for entry to someone. You know, sometimes these are very sensitive things, and it's not that I am choosing to be a different person for them. You know, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about whether people should eat or not eat certain things, and he says, you know, for conscience sake. And he says, no, not for my conscience, but for their own, for someone else, because they are uncomfortable. And here where, you know, sometimes as Christians, the rubber meets the road, and we're called to sacrifice right? Something that not, not necessarily is bad or wrong, but because it makes someone else uncomfortable. 
He says, you know what? I'm not going to do that in front of you. I'm not going to do that for you because I know it makes you uncomfortable. You know, and this distinction, you know, is one of the things that we do or we, we, God calls us to do is, is to, to take his example of the gospel, is to bear with the infirmities of the weak. I know in very various areas, some of us are weaker in this area, some of us are stronger in this area. And God says, you know, live your life and be my example. And so, you know, my, my time is running down. One of the things that, the three things I'd like to focus on or, or that I'd like you to take away from this message is that when you think about that verse at the end, those who are strong ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak. First, you know, God has tasked us with acceptance. You know, he's modeled that. He's, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you, you looked at the earlier passage in Romans, when the Bible's talking about, you know, yet for a good man, no, not even for, you know, a godly person, people would not die, but Jesus Christ would die. You know, now that I have a son and I'm like, wow, you know, they're taught, sometimes it's a very different experience in terms of my world. Like, oh, I would die for him. I would give my life for him. You know, when he was younger and he would do something that I didn't like and I would chastise him, he would come up to me right after that and he would give me a hug. And I understood, oh, he's hugging me because he wants my affirmation. You know, I didn't agree with his behavior, but he, he needs to know I still love and accept him. And so that becomes one of the foundation and hallmarks of a Christian community, and it's the foundation and hallmark of who Jesus Christ is. There's no reason God should accept anybody in this room or on this planet, but he does it because of who he is and at great cost to himself. The second, judgment. God has committed all judgment to Jesus Christ. Jesus walked on this earth. The Bible says he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, not just the infirmities which he understands, physical, spiritual, mental, social, psychological, but even the feelings of them he is touched with and understand. And because he is touched with that, he understands. My time is running short, so I need to wrap up. But I remember years ago, there was this illustration about a man on the train in Manhattan, and his kids were running amok, and people were looking at him, and they were like, why are you letting those kids run amok? You can't control your kids. And they rebuked him. You need to control your kids. And he said to the woman, I'm sorry. I just came from the hospital. Their mother just died. I have to explain to them that she's not coming back. I don't know what to do. Please. Completely distorted view. That, that judgment that had just risen in that person's heart was now complete and changed. It was understanding now. Here's a person that wasn't just letting their kids run amok for no reason. Here's a person going through great suffering and they didn't know what to do. And now compassion came in. And so the Bible says, reserve your judgment. It has been committed to Jesus Christ. He judges faithfully and honestly. We don't. Finally, sacrifice. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, we don't have time to go for it, go through it. But sacrifice is the road through which Christ achieves victory. It's how we maintain our relationships. It is the foundation you could say it's the, it's the foundation of the world. You know, God gave his son in Jesus Christ. It is everything and anything. It is then practical how we succeed, succeed as a Christian community. And when you have these things in your community, when people come through and they see acceptance, 
They see reservation of judgment, right? They see willingness to sacrifice. They get to see the gospel and they get to see Jesus Christ, both in our lives and in our communities. And what wonderful places um, those houses will be, um, both here and in heaven. Uh, thank you very much.